Let's begin with prayer, shall we? Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather together and consider one of the most important topics that you have for us in these last days, and that is the training and education and parenting of our, of our children, your children. And Lord, we trust that you have a plan in store for us, perhaps conviction, correction, but also much encouragement. And Lord, we need direction from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. The name of the seminar is Raising the Remnant. And uh, the first thing out of the gates that I always talk about when I do the parenting seminar is people look at this young guy and they say, parenting seminar, age 25? What's going on here? By the way, I'm not 25. I know by all appearances you might think I just graduated from high school. But at 33, I do have a couple of kids. And you, you can see here, when, you, when this moment happens in your life, how many of you have had that moment? This changes everything for you, doesn't it? It changes your priorities, your, what you're studying and looking into. When this happened, I began, began to be a student of parenting. I dug into this in great depth. And so when I come to you with a parenting seminar, it isn't with the gray-headed years of wisdom of having experienced this for decades. It, I, I am your resident nerd, okay? I love information. I love knowledge, truth, data, studies, research, all of this. And so I collect it, I study it, and I share it with you. But just to share with you my uh, family photo album, this moment then happens, right? The toddler learns how to sit perfectly still for long periods of time, right? Not so much. That took us a long time to get that shot. Now he's a distinguished gentleman. This is my son, Levi. And then the second comes along, our little boy, Silas. Levi and Silas are now three years old and 10 months old, respectively, just about 11 months old here in the summer of 2014, and they're best friends, of course. Now, um, I, I have to say, I want to say just thank you to ASI for saying this topic is important enough. We want this topic to be featured at, at ASI, and I, I'm honored. It's a privilege to be able to be here to present on what I think is perhaps the most important thing that we can even be talking about in these last days, is how will the last generation of Earth's history be parented? Because there will be children who go through the last days as children. And that's been my focus. Is, you know, I, I believe that it serves the purpose of the enemy of souls to put afar off the close of time. It, Jesus will not come for five or ten or twenty more years. No, I believe it is imminent. And that urgency, that intensity is always needed on the part of God's last day people. So my children, I have a view that they will be going through the last days as children. So how does that make me parent? Well, it may change some things. And it certainly has for me. Um, what, where I started was, I, I obviously read through our Spirit of Prophecy councils on this. If you have not done that, get the book Child Guidance, get the book Adventist Home, read them immediately. But also something that I picked up and read was a study that was done by the Barna Group, George Barna, you may have heard of him. He does research and collects data for the evangelical Christian church, broadly speaking. And his research was interesting because he actually went out in search of the spiritually strong young adults of America and asked them, how were you raised? So in other words, what kind of parenting actually works, actually produces spiritually strong young adults. And, and I went through his findings one by one by one. There are about 50. Every single finding could be also found in Spirit of Prophecy. Now, that was so neat to me, not only to have this viewpoint on parenting validated from multiple sides, but also as a, a, a validation or a, a increasing in credibility of spirit of prophecy. When you see all the scientific studies backing up the health, health message, when you see all of the parenting councils being backed up by modern research, it's exciting to look back and say, we knew this all along. Why were we not following these things? Let's get back to those councils. Now, George Barna's research has found that according to studies, most parents think that 
they're doing a pretty good job. You know, we're, we're pretty satisfied with our parenting in America. I'm certainly doing better than most people out there. However, when you dig a little deeper and you ask these parents, well, of all the different areas of parenting, how do you rank yourself in training your children academically? How do you rank yourself in training your children socially? How do you rank yourself in taking care of their physical development? How do you rank yourself in spiritual training of your children? Uh-oh, this is where parents get very insecure, and they rank themselves literally in all the different areas. They rank themselves last in spiritual training. And this is um, among Christians in, the, in America today. We feel very insecure about training our children spiritually. And so we turn to the school and to the church to do what God has assigned to us. Is that working? People are leaving the church, young people are leaving the church in great numbers in our community as well as the other faiths in America. This is why this topic is important. And, and this is why I want to look at parents who have done it successfully. Adventist Home actually recommends this. Adventist Home, page 31, you see, you see this phrase, guarding the home against satanic influences. By a show of hands, how many of you want to guard your homes against satanic influences? Me too. Now, I want to see the rest of the sentence, right? Here's how we guard our homes against satanic influence. It goes like this. Other families will mark the results attained by a godly home and will follow the example set in their turn guarding the home against satanic influences. So what did this quote say to do? Exactly what Barna has done. Go out in search of the godly homes, mark the results, and then do what they're doing. Or even more importantly, do what God has asked us to do, but they're the same thing, beautifully enough. Now, a quick disclaimer about parenting from a spiritual point of view. I can think of only one perfect parent in the history of the universe. And who is that? That was God. God had a family in heaven, a family of angels. Did all of them stay loyal to him? No. One third of them rebelled against God because of free will. So you can do everything right as God did in heaven, and that doesn't negate and shouldn't negate the free will of a, of a youth or a young adult. So don't beat yourself up if you're an older person. We did our best, and, and then you point out your own mistakes. Oh, I'm a failure, and you carry around this guilt and shame. God has forgiven you. Let the past be the past if you have grown children. If you have children like my age, I look back, man, I wish I wouldn't have. You know what? God's going to take us forward. All we can do is look forward from here, not backward. We can learn from our mistakes. That's what God has asked us to do. But also remember that at the end of the day, if you're, if you're in, the, in the older crowd with, with grown kids... God understands your pain. He understands what it's like to lose children to rebellion. And so I just want to encourage you in that regard. I don't want this seminar to be, well, if you would have done this, then no. God isn't, isn't heaping that guilt upon you at all. We can do our best, though. Are there tendencies and trends for how to give our children the best chances of success? Absolutely. This isn't just a, you know, press your luck kind of thing. This isn't just a, a, a gamble. No, 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 no. There are lots of things we can do that will increase the chances of our children walking with the Lord strongly in the last days. Now, what you're going to hear over the next hour is a combination from multiple different things that we've been working on. First, of course, Raising the Remnant. That's the name of, of our talk today. Raising the Remnant is a single session, 75, 80-minute presentation that I did last summer, which is available on DVD. You're going to hear bits and pieces of that here today. Also, we just released, literally yesterday here at ASI, How to Raise the Remnant. This is a three-disc documentary story style parenting DVD set, which features all of these wonderful parenting minds that you see on the screen. Donna Habanek, Cinda Osterman, Don McLafferty, Paul and Carolyn Rain, Kay Kuzma, among others, friends and, 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 and colleagues who I've looked to said, saying, guys, 
help people walk through some of this information now. How do we apply the things that are written in Spirit of Prophecy and that have been found by the Barna research? And so that we have a three-disc. So you'll hear clips of that in this, in this session today. Also, something that's not yet released, but it is recorded, and we're in the editing phase of it right now, is a project called The Classroom of the Remnant. This one I've been working on with a friend of mine named Joshua White, a, a expert, a prominent researcher in child development, early childhood education. Good friend of mine, and he's got solid information on how children best come to know the Lord and, and develop a, a thinking critical mind and, and how, to, how to raise and educate children. So we're gonna, you're going to hear a little bit of the research from that as well. And then just an ounce from, of course, media on the brain, but we're not going to get very deeply into that today. But you'll hear from all four of those over the next hour. So let's get into it. First of all, Interesting facts. By the way, I'm going to be flying. I'm going to be going really fast. So I see some people getting ready to take notes. It's all on the DVDs if you miss anything. I'm not going to say anything here that isn't on one of those, pro- those projects, okay? Some interesting facts about these parents that George Barna studied. The parents that actually produced spiritually strong young adults, the ones that had success. What were they, what were they like? What are some interesting facts? Did the spiritually strong young adults come most like, mostly from rich families, middle class families, poor families? What do you think? Ah, so I'm hearing all of them. Indeed, it did not matter what your socioeconomic status was. If you follow all the principles that he identified, the other 49 of them, then socioeconomic status didn't, didn't matter. So you, if, if you're following the Lord's plan, it doesn't give you an advantage to be upper middle class. You know, I always thought that. You know, you got your middle class values, your upper middle class family, and that's going to be some great advantage in parenting. Not so. A poor family can do just as well. Listen to this, this statement here, because these parents who raised spiritually strong young adults, they were more likely to come from deliberately single income households. So from Spirit of Prophecy we read, Poverty, in many cases, is a blessing. It prevents youth and children from being ruined by inaction. Poverty is a what? It's a blessing. So there's no advantage to wealth when it comes to parenting our children. That's that's good news. Thankful hearts and kind looks are more valuable than wealth and luxury. And contentment with simple things will make home happy if love be there. Right, And so these parents, they've made it a priority. We're going to have one parent being the full-time parent here. We're going to be a single-income household. And love is going to be in the home because that parent is full-time parenting that kid. Now, what are these parents like? Number one, they have a living faith. They have a real living faith in Jesus. And they study the Bible to grasp principles for Success in parenting. Maybe they came across Deuteronomy 6. Have you ever read this one before? Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7, it says, And these words which I command to you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your what? Do you know it? To your children. And you shall talk of them. Talk of them. What is them? These words which I have commanded you. Talk of them. Talk of the word of God with your children. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So these parents look to the word of God for their guide for parenting. And not just that, but we read from Adventist home, God himself established the family relation. His word is the only safe guide in the management of children. So they actually look to the Bible for their parenting principles. How do we parent? Let's go and ask God because he's given us inspiration in the word of God and in the spirit of prophecy on how to parent. Now also notice they have a living faith in Jesus. Listen to this. I love this quotation from education. It says, in order to interest our children in the Bible, we ourselves must be interested in it. To awaken in them a love for its study, we must love it. 
Our instruction to them will only have the weight of influence given it by our own example and spirit. That's a strong statement right there. And that, that hits home for those of us. Maybe we haven't been in the word as much as we need to be. And the children haven't seen us loving the word of God. Well, how can we expect them to love it? These parents also, what George Barna calls it, God talk. They, they, had a, they used a lot of God talk, meaning they, they intermingled their, their, their spiritual life with their daily experience. It wasn't some empty phrases that they were using, but they, they really talked of Christ as if he was a real part of their life, because he was. And we read in Spirit of Prophecy, Christ is not a stranger in their homes. His name is a household name, revered and glorified. In my family, we've taught Levi since he was very, very young that there are certain members of our family. It's mommy and daddy and Levi, and then Silas came along, and, and, but there are, there are other members. We talk about Jesus. Mommy, daddy, Levi, Silas, Jesus, and now he's getting to the point where he can talk about the Father and the Holy Spirit. Just this morning, Levi said to me, we were doing our morning worship, and he said, Dad, Jesus is my real daddy. You're my pretend daddy. <laughs> like, we'll refine that a little bit more as he gets older, but I thought that was kind of cute. You are to show in your life that Jesus is everything to you. If our children see this, they are much more likely going to adopt the faith of Jesus Christ into their hearts and into their lives because it's real for us. Now, these parents are also true disciplers. They don't just view their job as providing for the necessities of their children, taking care of their physical needs, taking care of their social... No, it's, they are spiritually training their children. They're true disciplers. And they don't look to the church to take the lead in spiritual training. They say, this is our job. We read this in Spirit of Prophecy. And by our... First and foremost, the father. The father is to dedicate every inmate of his home to God. It is perilous to leave this solemn duty in the hands of others. Isn't that a strong statement? It is perilous for somebody else other than the father to be the priest of that child's development spiritually. And of course, if there's no father in the situation, the mother is, is the priest of that child if we're dealing with a single mom. And that's, that's necessity. That's what, what has to be done. But single moms... Good parents never, never parent alone. Bring in mentors, bring in men, bring in anybody that can help grandparents and, 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 and have that child see Christ in, in others as well that, are, that he has a close, close and deep relationship with. But situations where the dad is home, dad, that's your job right there. And, and, and secondly, they, when they got into matters of faith, they did it as a family. It was, they had family worship, these kinds of things, as a family. This is what we read in Spirit of Prophecy. Spread out the word of God before your families in love and ask, what hath God said? So you ask them, what has God said? God is our, God is our Lord, our, our, our ruler, our authority here. Now with this issue of family piety, family worship, devotions, helping our children really experience a walk with the Lord, I want to turn to a clip where you'll hear Paul and Carolyn Rain commenting on this topic. One of the most important things we can do for our little children is to help them to come to know Jesus as their friend for themselves. Start when they're really small. When our children were just babies, we would play them scripture song tapes. You remember that? Mm -hmm. And then they didn't understand what they were listening to, but we realized their minds are like sponges and they will soak up what comes their way. Naturally, we tend to soak up the wrong more readily than the good. And so we just filled our children's minds with good stuff. And the devil didn't have so much room for the bad stuff because their minds had soaked it up. So start off with devotions when they're really small help them to connect their little hearts to their savior and then as they get older they will come to know him and they will have a relationship that will take them places that we never could 
another thing that we did, if you remember, and that was family worship. Mm -hmm. If we can set aside a little bit of time every day for reading the Bible together, it will go a long way because our children are like sponges. They just soak all this up and they soak it all up. So it's our job as parents to pump it in and it will come to fruition later on in life. Amen. I'm a big supporter of their ministry, um, Restoration International. They're they are seminar speakers that have uh, family retreats and wonderful stuff. And, and isn't that insight just spot on? Have those children listening to the Word of God from the time they're babies. We've been doing that with Levi. These things right here we got a hold of from uh, Thy Word Creations. And um, anybody seen these before? Yeah, you know what these are, some of you. These are incredible. They, they look like books, but actually the, most of the reason we used them for was the CD in the back. These are scripture songs that she just referred to. I'm guessing it's actually the very same very same items that they were using. I should ask them. But you go through, you, the kid learns the, the creation story from Genesis 1, learns Psalm 23, Psalm 91, Psalm 139, all these wonderful scriptures about, you know, the angel of the Lord is, is, is protecting us, the Lord's prayer, they're learning how to pray, Isaiah 53, they're learning about the sacrifice of Christ, the temptation of Jesus, the Ten Commandments, 1 Corinthians 13. You can't beat these scriptures for being the, the most foundational things to hide the Word of God in the hearts of these, these small children. And so we've been playing these also since Levi was a baby and, and, and to the point where he's two years old and, and learning to speak a little bit more fluently and what was already in his head is now now coming out of his mouth and we're going wow he knew these all along he knows them better than we do sometimes we listen to a lot of scripture songs not just these ones but other scripture songs and sometimes I'll be singing one and I'll, I'll, I'll forget the words I'll say Levi he, he you know about two and a half three when he was helping me he'd say dad it goes like this or I'd sing it wrong and he'd catch me and he'd say dad it's actually this and so they have like they said sponges and we've got to feed that feed that stuff by the way over at our exhibit booth. I don't have these laying out on the on the table, but I brought some of these if you're wanting to share those with your children and want to get those. And for those watching on the video, it's available on the website. But getting back to the information here, why is there such a lack of missionary spirit in our churches? This is a spirit of prophecy quote, and it asks a question we are all asking. Why is Laodicea so Laodicea? Why are we not getting out there, sharing the word of God, winning souls, and seeing Jesus come in our day? Here's the answer. Are you ready? Why is there such a lack of missionary spirit in the churches today? It is because there is a neglect of home piety. You can't lay this at the doorstep of the schools, the church. This starts in the home. And if we're not doing it in the home, then it's not going to take root. True discipleship, number three. These parents actually served God together with their kids. They engaged in service projects. I love Cinda Osterman's example of this. I want you to listen to her for just a moment. Once they understand how to have a devotion time, how to have a prayer time, then we wanted our children to actually go out and practice it in the community. We wanted them to share their faith. We wanted our children to put into practice what they were learning. So at seven years of age, uh, well, matter of fact, our daughter was our oldest, was six years old, and she wanted to give Bible studies. Now, she didn't even read yet, so I had to teach her how to read, and then I gave her seven texts that she could use to give Bible studies. And then we went knocking on doors and asking anybody she could if they would give, let her give a study to them. People do not tell a seven-year-old no. They let her give a Bible study. So that was a way that she got to share with people. She actually started a youth group, um, Bible study youth group, and she was in her teens. She had a Bible correspondence school that she ran. Our youngest daughter had a babysitting ministry and a um, house cleaning ministry that she did. She'd call up parents and see if she could volunteer some time just to take care of their children so they could do something else or help clean their house. Both of them sold books, Cole Portering, 
um, and they both worked for a ministry that was a bookstore and just volunteered time. So they had a lot of opportunities to share. Now, uh, I mentioned at the beginning that we're looking at raising a generation of children that may go through the very last days as children, right? This statement from Great Controversy, it's actually quoted from Adventist Home here, blew me away the first time I read it. This is, this is heavy stuff. Listen to this one. We read, When heavenly intelligences see that men are no longer permitted to present the truth, the Spirit of God will come upon the children, and they will do a work in the proclamation of the truth, which the older workers cannot do, because their way will be hedged up. In the closing scenes of this earth's history, many of these children and youth will astonish people by their witness to the truth, which will be born in simplicity, yet with spirit and power. In the near future, many children will be endued with the Spirit of God and will do a work proclaiming the truth to the world that at that time cannot well be done by the older members of the church. Do you hear that, brothers and sisters? Are our children being raised up serving God, doing missionary work, reaching out to the needy, reaching out to lost souls? If they are doing that, they will be the chosen ones to do this. The very last messages of warning right before the close of probation will be taken by children. Isn't that amazing? This happened, by the way, already in history, in the Reformation, in the Second Advent Awakening movement, the Great Advent movement. Read about that in the Great Controversy. It's going to happen again in the closing scenes of this earth's history. Powerful. Another way that these parents were true disciples is that their children saw that the parents lived what they were asking of their children. The parents lived their faith. This is very, very, very important. And I want you to hear from our experts on this one with one more clip here. Donna Habenick. As your children get older, I'll comment when you eat together about something that you learned in your time with God today that helps them know that you had that time and that it meant something to you personally. Just by living, the child, your children, will pick up your faith or lack of faith. They will pick up what you say, what you do, how you control your emotions, how you say things to them that will give them uh, a, a fairly good, accurate picture of your faith. So, if you never pick up your Bible, they're not going to thank you you know, uh, have a very strong faith. Now, for your children to have a relationship with Jesus, you yourself need to have it first. So we always did pray, we did study, we did have family worship, but we were more intent on it when we moved out into the country. We wanted to make sure it wasn't um, sporadic whenever we decided to have it hit and miss. We decided that it would be every day. And as our children were watching us, they learned how to pray. They watched their father morning and night so they, they would understand that he always took them before the Lord. So even in their teen years when they were struggling with things, they would ask their father to pray for them. That modeling is about the most important thing that we can do. You know, it's been said that children will, children will not go any deeper in their faith than their parents are. They won't walk with Jesus in any more serious of a way than their parents are. And so we've got to set that bar high for our children. By the way, the speakers that you just heard there, the first one was Dr. Donna Habenicht, the second one, uh, Dr. Kay Kuzma, and the third one, Cinda Osterman, who does parenting seminars. These are excellent resources if you can find their books and, and materials out there. They, they, I've, I've turned to them many times for, for counsel and wisdom on this. 
this, on this subject, but you heard him say it. What we are living, the children will pick up more than what we say, right, is who we are. And so what kind of emphasis do we have as parents? You know, almost never in research do you find 100% of people in agreement on anything. But in this case, these successful parents, 100% of them, had the character development of their children as their number one priority and focus. The character development of their children was number one. And so college degrees, careers, intellectual, economic advancement, these things were not the most important. That's not to say that academic things are unimportant, but they are not the most important, not even close. The most important by far is the development of that child's character. And so we have some spirit of prophecy on this. Many are turned aside by wrong methods of what? education. So we emphasize the academic. Life is too generally regarded as made up of distinct periods, the period of learning and the period of doing, the prepara of preparation and achievement. So we have these, these, these categories in our lives. This is the category for study and academics. And then over here, we have our practical lives and they are disconnected. They are disjointed. And so what happens is our ideas of education take too narrow and too low a range. True education has to do with the whole being and with the whole period of existence possible to man. Our whole being and our whole lives are education. I love that concept. That's very much emphasized in the Classroom of the Remnant, the eight-disc eight, eight disc series my friend Joshua White and I put together. He's the speaker on that. That is excellent, excellent stuff because educate, we, have to, we have to broaden our view of education. I, I'm a teacher. That, that's what I've done for 11 years of my, of my career. Education is not just what happens when you're in a book and in a classroom and in study. Education is all of life. It's the whole range of, of the, the mind, the body, everything, and the whole period of existence known to man. And listen to how Jesus learned. Listen to his edu education. Jesus' education was gained from heaven, directly from heaven-appointed sources. Now listen to what the heaven-appointed sources are. Useful work, the study of the scriptures, the study of nature, and the experiences of life. Isn't that interesting? I wonder sometimes if we, if we spend far too much time in classrooms, if we spend far too much time in formal academic experiences. Jesus Four heaven-appointed sources of his education. Study of nature, which, by the way, you can get from books and you can get in a classroom. Study of God, which books and classrooms also. Daily life experiences and from real practical work. That was his education. Very interesting. Now, when you look at Dr. Jane Haley, anybody have heard, heard of Dr. Jane Haley? Wonderful researcher in, in the secular realm. But what she has pointed out from her research on childhood development is that academic knowledge, rather than being based on academic knowledge, research actually shows that your child's ultimate success, his success, not based on academic knowledge, but it's, it will depend in life, it will depend more on personal characteristics like motivation, creativity, the ability to communicate effectively with other people. So if we want to be successful, even in temporal terms, even in, 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 in our jobs and in our lives in this world, it's not necessarily how much time we spend in a classroom. It's not necessarily how much book knowledge we have. Are we raising our children with that practical knowledge where it's about how they communicate, their motivation, their creativity? These things are essential. These parents, though, not only did they focus on the character, 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 character. They didn't negate academics. Their children learned those are important things, but character was number one. And, to, and, and that is a perfect segue into how absolutely revolutionary these parents were. The parents who raised the spiritually strong young adults of America today, their number one priority, their number one job in life was 
the parenting of their children. Parenting is my primary job in life. Any, any necessary career actually exists primarily as a means to that end. So they didn't outsource their parenting, if you will, to the media. Our children, 53 hours a week in front of screens, right? They didn't outsource their parenting to teachers, churches, media, entertainment. They said, I am the parent of this child. This is my most important job in life. And this is the, my primary aim and identity during my child's childhood years. Now, that's just weird in our culture today, right? I mean, we get busy. We all have our own thing. And the child kind of takes second place here. He takes the second fiddle, if you will. But these parents, and this includes fathers. And a lot of dads, of course, have to work. Almost all of them have to work outside the home. In some cases, it's moms outside the home and dads dads at the home with the kids. But you have one parent, at least, uh, working here. But still, their mindset is, parenting is my primary job. And so, you know what? That, that means other things may have to go. We'll get into that in a second. But I have a bunch of quotations on this that really spoke to me as a parent as I was evaluating my, my new identity, my new role when I had my first son three years ago. These quotes woke me up to who I am now for the next number of years while I have these children. It says, How sad it is that many parents have cast off their God-given responsibilities to their children and are willing that strangers should bear it for them. They are willing that others should bear for their children and relieve them of all, should labor for their children and relieve them of all burden in the matter. The mother has in her power, moms, listen to this. You have in your power the molding of your children's characters that they may be fitted for the higher immortal life. This is the sentence. An angel could not ask for a higher mission. Next to God, the mother's power for good is the strongest known on earth. Do you realize what you just read, moms? Let me give you the order, uh, the order here. The most powerful agency in the universe, of course, is the creator of the universe, God. But you know who comes next on earth? Moms. Then, after moms, comes angels. And then the rest of us. So it goes, God, moms, angels, the rest of us, in terms of the influence you can have over the characters fitting them for the heavenly immortal life. An angel could not ask for a higher mission. That's powerful. That's wonderful. I love that. Now, if you ignore your duty as wife and mother and hold out your hands for the Lord to put another class of work in them, be sure that he will not contradict himself. He points you to the duty you have to do at home. If you have the idea that some work greater and holier than this has been entrusted to you, you are under a deception. Now, don't take that from me. Take that from the Spirit's. This isn't somebody's opinion. This is the spirit of prophecy. I've heard many times, oh, I don't want to hear from the spirit of prophecy. I don't want to hear, quote, the spirit of prophecy. Do you realize what that sentence is saying? I don't want to hear the spirit. This is not about a person who wrote this 100 plus years ago. This is from the Holy Spirit. So if I say I don't want to hear the spirit of prophecy, that's a very dangerous statement. So, but again, don't take, I, I don't say things like that to people just because, you know, I, I don't, I'm going to leave that to God. But he has said strong statements to us like, you're under a deception if you think that this is not your primary job in life right now. So take that from your loving Heavenly Father. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. And so he speaks very strongly to us sometimes. But by the way, this is not just moms. This is, this is the dads, you ready for it now? Here we go. He's, it says, I saw that but few fathers realize their responsibility. The father's duty to his children cannot be transferred to the mother. If she performs her own duty, she has burden enough to bear. Can I get an amen from the ladies on this? And from the guys, right? I mean, these ladies are the hardest working people on planet Earth. Moms are. I've, I've never seen my, my wife is an incredible person. I'll tell you, I have more respect for women now than I ever did before. Only by working in unison can the father and mother accomplish the work which God has committed to their hands? And then I like this one. Are the children not his as well as hers? <laughs> yeah. Fathers, this one, oh man, this one knocked my socks off. This is probably the quote that changed my view of my role more than anything else. Fathers, 
spend as much time as possible with your children. You think in the Garden of Eden, Dad would have been leaving for 40, 50 hours a week to go to a job? Now, because of the curse, you're going to now labor by the sweat of your brow, and you're going to have the, the thorns and thistles and all of this. So work is a part of the lot of mankind, and it is a blessing. But I wonder if God's original design, and, and, and when we're in heaven, is actually that the family is doing that work together, and that dad is more, a more integral part. The more we can move toward that, the better. And I'm not trying to put a burden on men to you know, not, not work their jobs and provide for their families. That's what God has called us to do. We have to do that. And in some cases, it's the mom that may do that, and the dad that be at home, preferably the mother. But here's the counsel. Spend as much time as possible. Don't go beyond possible and start stressing yourself out and, 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 and go, go extreme. But as much as we can find to find time with our children, we have to be doing that. If he is engaged, if the father is engaged in business, which almost wholly closes the door of usefulness to his family, listen to this. He should seek other employment, which does not prevent him from devoting some time to his children. If he neglects them, he is unfaithful to the trust committed to him of God. Whatever may be the character of his business, it is not of so great importance that he be excused in neglecting the work of educating and training his children to keep the way of the Lord. And in my own personal life, this has been a challenge because I'm a teacher, right? I was teaching full time and then doing this media on the brain message on Sabbath. And all of a sudden I'm going, whoa, we've got a baby here and things are starting to change. So I said, you know what? I need to leave full time teaching. Decided to step out, did part time teaching last year and now full time zero time teaching and and doing this ministry full time if you will so that if I'm gone away from the family for you know sometimes I fly be gone for three days fly on Friday fly on Sunday speak on Sabbath somewhere around the country and meanwhile boy I'm missing some very important time with the family so those other days focus on the family and that's what we all need to do as much time as possible with our children and need to seek other employment that was why I said you know what the Lord is calling me into this ministry to, to, to talk about media and entertainment. You know, I've, I'm at a different church every weekend sharing this message. So many doors have opened. That's, that's an obvious calling at that point. And I go, well, I can't do that and teach full time at the same time. If I did, I would be unfaithful to the trust that God has given to me. Seek other employment. By the way, that says seek, right? Finding it is God's job. You seek it, he'll open the door. If he doesn't open the door, then you don't need to stress and say, I'm a bad dad because I have to work so much. You seek it, and God will, God will find. Seek, and, and, and he will show you, he, he, will, he will open up the door that he wills for you to, follow, to walk through. So seek other employment, very interesting. A second way that these parents are true revolutionaries is they actually spend hours in dialogue with their children each day. They, they talk with their children for hours a day. Now, that was a surprising finding to me because we all get so busy, right? We, we're, we're, we're doing this. We're on our phone. We're going to work. We're talking to somebody. We're over here, over there, and we're just, we're just maxed out. We're overcommitted. We're very, very busy in life. Well, here you read that the mother must ever stand preeminent in this work of training the children. While grave and important duties rest upon the father, the mother, by almost constant association with her children, especially during their tender years, must always be their special instructor and companion. Almost constant, no more. We are now on our devices, we are busy, and, and this, this, this need for that small child to be bonded and, and, and have that attachment with mother, we are losing out on an important foundation for those youngest of children. Hugely important. By the way, they learn language skills by talking. They don't learn language skills by hearing words on a TV or even on an audio. They learn language skills by interpersonal. And why are language skills so important? Language is the stuff of thought, right? Language is how you learn academically later in life. Language is how you comprehend biblical truth. Language is how you communicate truth 
to others. Language is the foundation of all learning for the rest of your life, even spiritual learning. And so learning good language development is very important during those earliest years. Talking with your children for hours a day, but it's not just mothers. Fathers, cultivate friendship with them, especially with your sons. In this way, you will be a strong influence for good. And we also read, no time, says the father. I have no time to give to the training of my children. No time for social and domestic enjoyments. Then you should not have taken upon yourself the responsibility of a family. By withholding from them the time which is justly theirs, you rob them of the education which they should have at your hands. If you have children, you have a work to do in union with the mother in the formation of their characters. It is the cry of many mothers. I have no time to be with my children. Then, for Christ's sake, spend less time on your dress. Neglect, if you will, to adorn your apparel. I'm guessing ladies in here aren't doing all that much of adorning their apparel, so you can put the 21st century spin in that one. Neglect to be on Facebook. Neglect to have those social, she does say, neglect to receive and make calls. That means social visits. Whatever it is that's getting in the way. Neglect to cook an endless variety of dishes, but never, never neglect your children. What is the chaff to the wheat? Let nothing interpose between you and the best interests of your children. I love that, 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 that statement right there. By the way, it's not just the quantity of time. It's also the quality of time. You know, I remember hearing about, I have good quality time with my kids. And that was, that was a trend a couple of decades ago where, you know, you'd have your busy life and you'd spend 10 minutes in the yard throwing the frisbee around. You feel like you had your parenting duty done. I spent quality time. It was just microns of time and it was quality. The research has shown that quality time in small amounts is not, is not sufficient. You need quantity of time. But if you just have quantity of time and it's not good quality, you're, you're, you're treating your children with disrespect. There's not kindness in the home. There's not an atmosphere of love and joy, that's not actually going to be very good either. So you want quantity and quality both. A third way that these parents are revolutionary is that they sacrifice their own experiences that they'd rather have. And I'll be honest, sometimes, frankly, doing the thing with a small child that is just like fascinating to him, sometimes I get a little bored with it, right? We've done that 19 times now, okay? I I have a different level of interest and stimulation intellectually than a three-year-old. And so I have to say, Lord, help me to sacrifice self and to do what's best for this child and to enjoy the child, not just to grit my teeth and go through it, but to really enjoy being with them. Because I know there's things that I might rather do, but this is way more important. Cut out everything else from your life that prevents this work from being done and train your children after his order neglect anything of a temporal nature be satisfied to live economically bind about your wants but for christ's sake again do not neglect the religious training of yourselves and your children did you notice this about economically remember it didn't matter about the socioeconomic status of the families and we actually read in spirit of prophecy that poverty can be a blessing I know that a lot of people are going, well, we can't go down to one income. We can't do what these guys are doing because we need both incomes to survive. And sometimes that's more of a perceived situation than a real situation. I don't know your situation, but I'm saying sometimes it is because I know it was for us. We had the, the house in the suburbs, actually right here in Grand Rapids, suburb of Grand Rapids. We had a, you know, a decent house, um, not, not a, just a middle-class house locally in Michigan, $120,000 house, right? Uh, it's, a, it's a lot cheaper than around in the country, but, you know, around, you know, in, 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 the, in California and elsewhere where real estate is real high. But in Michigan, you know, we had a mortgage and we're going, okay, we're now committed to going down to one income. How do we do it? And not that we're the, the example. This is just an example. What we did is we said we, we need to have no mortgage. That's going to be something we need to pull off in order for a teacher to be able to continue to support his family, not to mention somebody who's now in, in, in ministry work that's even less. Um, so how do we do that? Well, we need to, um, we need to have no debt. So you know, we, we've always driven like 
$1,500 cars. It's just the way we do it. We don't buy expensive. So that was easy. But, you know, no credit card debt. But we wanted to get rid of that mortgage. And so we said, we're going to sell this house. And we felt called to country living. There's a whole other seminar right there we're going to work on next year. But we moved into the country. We started looking at country homes. It's amazing what you can find. Like an hour north of Grand Rapids, we found nine acres with apple trees, a pond. Okay, it's a mobile home. <laughs> it's a mobile home, okay? So we had to kind of, you know, come to terms with that. But we found this place woods for burning for heat and all of this a big garden area to grow our own food we can live very economically bind about our wants we bought the place for forty-seven thousand dollars, and we, we had not been able to have children for years the lord worked a miracle to bring these children to us and so we had some savings built up and we were able to pay for that with cash so now with no mortgage we say now we can do the one income thing and that requires some sacrifice do we want to live in a mobile home does my does my wife like not having a garage or a basement no but she knows that it's important she knows that these children are worth it so praise the lord for moms that are willing to sacrifice number four these parents, they're so revolutionary, they did something that some people would say, it's a violation of their rights. No, to involve yourselves in your child's choice of friends is not a violation of their rights. They don't have the freedom to choose their own associates. That is your responsibility as a parent. And these parents did that. They said, we're not going to just let them play with and be with anybody who's going to be a bad influence on them. Listen to the spirit of prophecy on this. Could my voice reach the parents all through the land? That's a strong preface, isn't it? Don't you want to hear the rest? Here's what I would say if I could speak to everybody throughout the land. Here's what the spirit of prophecy would tell them. I would warn them not to yield to the desires of their children in choosing their companions or associates. Isn't that something? Little do parents consider that injurious impressions are far more readily received by the young than our divine impressions. We go on and see, let them associate with those that love God. Let them Bring them to the people of God as children whom you are seeking to help build characters for eternity. It is impossible to overestimate the importance for this world and the next of the associations we choose for our children. We are in the world. This is what people say. They say, oh, come on, Scott, you're telling them somehow, you know, come on, we're in the world. We're in the world, and so you can't get out of it. So they're just going to have to be exposed to all of these worldly things and the media and the associates and all of this. Just realize we're living in the world. I've actually had Adventists say something like that to me. So Spirit of Prophecy addresses this very question. We are in the world, they say, and we cannot get out of it. Here's what we see. But parents, we can get a good way out of the world if we choose to do so. We can avoid seeing many of the evils that are multiplying so fast in these last days. We can avoid hearing about much of the wickedness and crime that exist. And then we also read, I have been shown that there should be a sacred shield around every family. I love this term of a shield because I was thinking about it. If you're holding a shield, a shield is kind of curved like this, right? And then if you take that shield, let's say a storm begins, a a, a rainstorm begins, and you take your shield and you hold it over your head like this, it makes a nice little roof, right? And we call that, instead of a shield, we call that a shelter, right? Now, I've heard this word shelter being used. In fact, I used it when I was a kid we used to make fun of like the homeschool kids down the street who weren't allowed to go trick-or-treating on halloween or go to the movies or whatever i didn't grow up adventist but it was kind of the same dynamic there and so we'd say oh those guys are so sheltered and 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 now that i look back what a silly and foolish and nonsensical thing to say it's like there's a storm of worldliness going on and we're standing out in it and we're going ha you people under a shelter what are you doing well that's obviously what you do if there's a storm you want a shelter right let's take back that word next time somebody says scott aren't you concerned that you're sheltering your children a little bit? I'm going to be like, you noticed? Yeah, we are trying to. We're trying to do it better. Tell me about some of the ways that you're sheltering your kids because I want to learn how to do it better. (laughs) It's a compliment, right? 
Let's take that word back. Dr. Jane Haley had something else to say about this, too, because the funny thing about the way that it's not funny, it's sad. The way that things go in our culture today is we don't shelter our children from the evils, but then we try to hover over them and protect them from every little mistake they're going to make. And we, we micromanage their little lives and we say, oh, don't do it that way. Oh, do it this way. Oh, you know, you, that's not going to work. Or, oh, you're going you're gonna to hurt yourself a little. Now, of course, we don't want our children to get into life-threatening or, you know, major injury kind of situations, but let them make mistakes. That's how they learn, right? And, and, and Dr. Jane Haley has studied extensively children. She wrote this. She said, I have worked with children who are afraid to attempt even simple tasks because mom has always jumped in and done the job for them. And that's one of the ways that we train children to be self-reliant, to grow up, is let them make mistakes. Let them learn to do things that are hard for themselves. And that's kind of hard for us to watch, you know, but let them put the pants on backwards, you know. Let them, let them screw the cap on backwards and learn, right? And they'll, they'll learn. They'll figure it out. You don't have to always jump in. Let the child and the youth be taught that every mistake, every fault, every difficulty conquered becomes a stepping stone to better and higher things. It is through such experiences that all who have ever made life worth living have achieved success. So these parents are different. Another way that they are revolutionary is not only that they protect their children from worldly influences in, 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 of peers, but they actually protect their children from all worldly influences, and they aren't very concerned about that. The fact that they're countercultural, I mean, these parents are weird, right? They're just different. But that causes them little stress or concern. They accepted from day one that their parenting would be different from most. And we read in Spirit of Prophecy, there should be less care for what the outside world will say and more thoughtful attention to the members of the family circle. What's best for my family? I don't care what other people are saying. And here we also read the votaries of fashion will never see or understand the immortal beauty of that Christian mother's work and will sneer at her old-fashioned notions and her plain unadorned dress while the majesty of heaven will write the name of that faithful mother in the book of immortal fame. Who do you want to please anyway? The sister-in-law, the mother, the friend down the road, the lady in church, or the majesty of heaven, right? There are angels in our homes, right? And we're being fitted up for the society of heavenly angels. When I speak to youth, I'm always telling them, guys, you're interested in what's cool, like in your, in your culture of youth or in the popular music or whatever. I'm a lot more interested in what's cool in heaven, because that's where I want to fit in. That's where I want to be a part of, right? I, don't, I, I kind of want to, what does Gabriel think is cool? You know, that, that's the kind of cool that I, and so I don't care what people think anymore. And so we got to be revolutionaries about this in a fifth way, media consumption. These parents that raised spiritually strong young adults had strong and strict media standards for their children. They, in many cases, getting rid of TV altogether. And this is in the evangelical Christian world. This is not even Adventists. But of course, as, as Adventists, we know, and there are many quotations in the media on the brain seminar that, that bring in the idea that Spirit of Prophecy actually warned us a hundred years ago against things like theatrical entertainment, games, hypnotic devices. These things were, were, were warning us already for 21st century deceptions. And so media is absolutely huge. I'm not going to talk about it. You probably, I mentioned earlier, 53 hours a week is the average screen time for American children. Um, there are 19 million video game addicts in America today. And there are 5 million Americans playing over 40 hours of video games per week. So we're looking at some serious, serious issues in our, in our world today and in, in our churches. Well, I did a study of Seventh-day Adventist youth where I asked them to report anonymously to me how much time they were spending on TV and movies and video games and how much time they were spending on devotions, Bible study, and prayer. The ratio was 25 to 1 of worldly food to spiritual food. So we have a problem, a major problem with media, and we've got to be able to take a stand and say, we're not going to do it the way that the world does it. Sixth of all, though, 
these kids often resisted certain things because, well, we're different, right? We're different from our friends. You know, my friends get to do this. My, my friends don't have to do that. But the parents stuck to their guns. They said, this is what we're doing because this is right. This is what the Lord has asked us to do. The chi- this is not new, by the way. A hundred years ago, the children refer to other children who come and go and have many privileges. Well, they have so few. But then the mother, fearing that her children will think her unjust, gratifies their wishes, which in turn, in the end, proves a great injury to them. Young visitors who have not a parent's watchful eye over them to see and correct their faults often receive impressions, which it will take months to remove. Now, these parents are very, very, very revolutionary, as we've seen. But at the same time, they're not like running around, lighting their hair on fire, you know, going fanatical about it. They're very balanced. If you ever read the book Child Guidance, the compilers of that were brilliant. They brought in statement, one statement here, one statement there, which bring a beautiful, beautiful balance and harmony to our parenting so that we don't end up off on some tangent wing over here or over here. And so the parents had a balanced approach. Number one, the first way they were balanced, we're going to spend some time on this one. In the course of spending the time with the child, listening to the child was very, very important. It is hugely important for the emotional development and the attachment of that child to mother that you are a responsive mother. You're responsive to their, to their needs, to their, to their emotional needs, and, and you're a listener. And you, and you hear what they say, and you respond to it. That's how you get dialogue going, right? You're not just spewing directions and critiques and lectures at them. You're having that openness. Parents should encourage, in their, children to, encourage their children to confide in them and unbalance burden to them their heart griefs, their little daily annoyances and trials. Kindly instruct them and bind them to your hearts. Teach them to make you their confidant. Let them whisper in your ear their trials and joys. Now, do you think, by the way, that they're going to be willing to do that? Do you think they're going to feel an openness to do that if they're being criticized all the time? If we're just barking at them and, and putting them down, they're not going to feel open. They're going to, not going to feel vulnerable. It's, they're going to start to harden up, and we want that openness. We've got to encourage them to unburden their hearts and, and like this one. Children would be saved from many evils if they were more familiar with their parents. Isn't that interesting? Parents should encourage in their children the disposition to be open and frank with them, to come to them with their difficulties, and when they are perplexed as to what course is right, to lay the matter just as they view it before their parents and ask their advice. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And by the way, if your child opens up and they've been doing something that's wrong, do not at that moment give them the lesson in the lecture. Because that's going to that's close them off for the next time. You will need to do that instruction. You will need to do that guiding. But if they're opening up and they're saying, you know what, I, I, I'm feeling a little bit bad about something that I did. You don't come down on them hard. They're already opening up. They're confessing. When we go before the Lord and we confess our sins, does he, does he start pointing his finger down our, our nose and say, you messed up. Why did you do it that way? Come on. No, they've already reached the point of repentance and confession here. Gentleness is needed here. Guide them at that point or it'll shut them down. You should take time to talk and pray with your little ones. This is so important. Talk and pray with your little ones. I've got to plug my computer in here. And allow nothing to interrupt that season of communion with God and with your children. Nothing should interrupt that. Now, the second way these parents are balanced is they avoided being too soft and touchy-feely, but also they avoided being too intimidating. They found a sweet spot right in the middle. And I want you to hear Kay Kuzma, Ph.D. in child development, talk about this very topic. What makes positive kids is a parent who can be a benevolent dictator. 
I know that seems like an oxymoron, you know, it's not impossible. But that is exactly what children need. They need to know that they are absolutely loved no matter what. And that's the soft side of you. And they need to know that you have boundaries, you have rules that need to be kept, and you are strong enough to make sure that you keep, uh, that they do those things. And I've used for many, many years um, the idea that ask the child one thing to do and then make sure you follow through. So it's that balance between being what I call having a gentle touch but having strong values. And when kids see that within their parent, in each one of their parents, Mm -hmm. that will be the child that will become the strongest in terms of the spiritual uh, uh, development, in terms of their spirituality. Both of you have to be strong in values and be able to stick up for what needs to be done, but you need to also be loving and understanding. And when you can get that put together and respect each other, oh, it's amazing what that does. And notice she said both parents are that way. A lot of times we say, well, we balance each other out. You know, mom's soft, dad's harsh, or the other way around. That confuses the child. That is not good. That is not healthy. Both of you need to find that balance of what Christ was, right? Christ was firm, principled. Standards were as high as the character of himself, right? But the love of Christ and the gentleness and the, and the, the concern and the empathy and the compassion it was also equally high. And so those are, we need to blend those two. Not balance them, blend them. You see the difference? If sometimes I'm this way, sometimes I'm that way, that's confusing, right? So we're always kind to our children. We're always disciplining in love. Let authority and affection be, well, there's the word, blended. Fathers, combine affection with authority, kindness and sympathy with firm restraint. The third way that these parents were balanced is that the children knew the parents were the bosses and were in, in, in control. They were in charge. So they're not so, so weak and flimsy. They knew, as you just heard from Kay Kuzma, that they are in control. The, one mother said, I am not a control person by nature. This is in George Barna's research. But when you have little ones depending on you for direction, you learn pretty quickly how important it is to be the leader. And indeed... A father said this one. He said, I I think I've been able to get away with being the boss because deep down, the kids want me to be in control, related to Father of Three. They periodically test me to see if I'm still up to the challenge. But the bottom line is, they want to have the confidence that the old man is capable of holding the job. Once I prove over and over that I can do it and that I intend to retain the leadership role, they can relax and feel as if everything is in balance in their universe. That's, you know, they they, they test the fence, as we call it in my home. they, they want to make sure, they want to see where the line is. I remember Levi, we, we had a rule, he doesn't get up on the coffee table. He's not allowed to climb up there. And so he'll look at us, and it was like when he was two, and he put his knee up there. Like, basically, mom and dad, is this allowed? And, you know, they don't verbalize that. They don't ask permission. This is the way they do it. And so you let them know with much communication where the lines are, and you're an authoritative parent in that respect. Not an authoritarian parent, but also not uh, uh, some, some sort of wishy-washy situation where they don't know where the lines are, and then they get confused, and then they get scared, and they, they, they have so much freedom they don't know what to do with it, and it's an insecure home. So they need to know where those lines are. Uniform firmness and unimpassioned control are necessary in the discipline of every family. Say what you mean, how? Calmly, move with consideration, and carry out what you say without what? 
deviation. Isn't this a beautiful picture? So balanced. Number five, these parents, I want to park here for a while. This is hugely important. If you are meeting your child's physical and emotional needs a lot, in fact, I'd venture to say the majority of the misbehavior that you might be witnessing can, can disappear and vanish. And they won't become angels in that moment. But a lot of misbehavior is because these needs are not being met. They're not getting enough attention. They're, they're, emo- they're, they're struggling with their emotions. They don't know how to deal with that. They're, they're, they haven't had enough sleep. This kind of thing. You see so much more misbehavior when their physical and emotional needs are not being met. And so you read here from Spirit of Prophecy. This is one of my favorite quotes. I love this. Young children love companionship and can seldom enjoy themselves alone. They yearn for sympathy and tenderness. That which they enjoy, they think will please mother also. And it is natural for them to go to her with their little joys and sorrows. The mother should not wound their sensitive hearts by treating with indifference matters that, though trifling to her, are of great importance to the children. Her sympathy and approval are precious. An approving glance, a word of encouragement or commendation can be like sunshine in their hearts, often making the whole day happy. I love that comment. I love that statement. Help that child know that the things they think are important are important to you too. And that'll go a long ways. Commend your children whenever possible. Make their lives as happy as possible. Remember that children need not only reproof and correction, but encouragement and commendation. The pleasant sunshine of kind words. But we aren't just building our children up and saying, you're the greatest, you're the smartest, you're the most pretty, and just constantly praising them. Listen to this one. Children need appreciation, yes. Sympathy, yes. Encouragement. Yes, but care should be taken not to foster in them a love of praise. You know how you give child a a good, healthy sense of self-worth? Is you're worthy of my time. Children spell love, not L-O-V-E. You know how they spell love? T-I-M-E. You ever heard that one before? And it's so true. They don't spell love by, you know, you you turn your back and, oh, you're the greatest thing ever and I'm going to go do something else. No, the the love of praise is an insecure sort of self-worth. We need them to have a feeling of self-worth because they mean something to us to spend our time with them. And also, what, what else are we commending them for? Look at this one. Let every mother teach her children that they are members of the family firm. And they must bear their share of the responsibility of this firm. And they they get a satisfaction, right? The satisfaction that children will have in being useful and in denying themselves to help others will be the most healthful pleasure they ever enjoy. So we have a family firm. We have chores. We have responsibilities. We have daily duties. Most of life in the home for a family, you're doing a lot of work. Involve the kids in that constantly. The kid can be with mother doing all these things. And they have important responsibilities. You need to do this. If you don't do this, it's not going to get done. There are real consequences in the family. Somebody else is going to be inconvenienced in some way if you don't do that. And so then they start to say, yeah, I have a role to play. I'm understanding my individuality, my self-worth. I mean something in this family. Then when you commend them with a simple thank you, you don't have to build them up with all of this artificial praise. They have that internal rather than the extrinsic, intrinsic sense of of motivation and self-worth. That is huge for their development. Those children, listen to this one. This is so ironic. Those children from whom parents do the most, so you do everything for your child, they actually feel under the least obligation to you. Where you think, oh, they, they, they owe me the most gratitude because I did so much for them. No, they become spoiled, right? And so they, they feel, you know, this is just my right. And this is just, uh, this is owed to me in life. Well, not so. We want to make sure that they take ownership of things themselves. There was an interesting study on this, this topic. Because you might, people might say, well, what are we doing? Going back to the child labor era of the late 19th century. And, you know, we're going to have abuse of, ch- no, 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 no. Not anything like that. We want to have them have responsibilities. But then people will say, oh, no, this is going to cause hardship to them. So what do you do with this issue of hardship? Look at this. This is amazing. They took, they did a study where they 
they looked at three groups. People who had experienced no childhood adversity, people who had experienced moderate childhood adversity, and people who had experienced severe adversity, such as abuse in childhood. I want to ask you a question. Of those three groups, which group do you think had the greatest well-being, mental well-being, emotional well-being as adults? Which ones were able to handle stress the best, situations in life and challenges in life the best? It is number two. The moderate adversity group. So we want our children to experience some challenges in life. Moderate adversity. Because they, be, they come out with higher mental health, well-being, life satisfaction. They were least affected by recent adverse events. They were more optimistic. They were more emotionally stable. And they were more able to dif- handle difficult strategies and minor ch- or difficult stressors and minor challenges. Isn't that something? So having moderate adversity as a child is actually a good thing. All of this research is presented much more thoroughly in the classroom of the remnant by Joshua White. But I wanted to bring that in now. One more on this, though. Most interestingly, this is incredible. Those who had experienced no adversity actually performed the same during later stress tests as those who had experienced severe adversity. Are you hearing what this is saying? If we give our children the easy life, the silver spoon, you know, all of that, if they don't have to work, if they don't have challenges that they have to overcome, mom and dad do everything for them. That's like child abuse. Their ability to handle life will be as bad as somebody who experienced abuse. So that's, that's serious, serious stuff right there that this research uncovered. And we read in Spirit of Prophecy, it is obstacles that make men strong, not helps, but difficulties, conflicts, rebuffs that make men of moral sinew. For the sake of time, I want to make a really important point, though. When I say, you know, our children need to experience hardships, this doesn't mean harshness. Hardships never mean harshness. I'm borrowing that from my good friend Joshua White. Powerful, important statement. If, if you just, well, we're going to have hardships, and now we're going to go to the extreme on this, and we become harsh parents, or we become distant from them. Hardship never means separation either. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He lets us face challenges, but he's always there with us through it. So that's important as a disclaimer. Now, those are, those are some of the emotional needs. How about the physical needs? In addition to adequate nutrition and sleep, how about this one? The health cannot be preserved unless some portion of each day is given to muscular exertion in the open air. Stated hours should be devoted to manual labor of some kind. Stated what? Hours. hours. Parents, inaction is the greatest curse that ever came upon youth. Wow equalize the taxation of the mental and physical powers. Equalize. Very interesting. And the mind of the students, so this is older kids too, will be refreshed. The health should be as sacredly guarded as the character. Also, these parents had the goal to teach their children to think independently. This is so important. As an educator, my education philosophy, even before I was a Seventh-day Adventist, this, this, this truth came to me before I ever read the book Education. The Lord shared this with me. It is the work of true education to develop this power, meaning the power to think and to do like the Creator, to train the youth to be thinkers and not mere reflectors of other men's thoughts. Some of you have heard that quote before. That's an important one. Train the youth to be thinkers, not mere reflectors of other men's thoughts. And in that vein, these parents don't treat all the children the same. The, parent, the, the father, we read in Adventist Home, should help in devising ways in which the children may be kept busy in useful labor, agreeable to their varying what? Dispositions. So each child has a varying disposition, so each child needs a little bit different treatment. I'm moving quickly through some of this material, but also we're not rushing them through their development. 
Here we have these parents that had success advance their children at a pace natural to them. I want to park here for a couple of minutes because this is, this is big. This is something that's being violated in a major way in our culture today. Starting children too early on things because we want to give them a head start, right? Well, here we read in Spirit of Prophecy, the little ones should be educated in childlike simplicity. They should be trained to be content with the small helpful duties and the pleasures and experiences natural to their years. True education is not the force of instruction upon an unready and unreceptive mind. So there is such a thing as an unready mind and natural levels of experiences for different ages of kids. What sorts of ages? Let's, let's dig into this a, a little bit deeper. It says, mothers, let the little ones play in the open air. Let them listen to the songs of the birds and learn the love of God as expressed in his beautiful works. Teach them simple lessons from the book of nature and the things around them. And as their minds expand, as their minds expand, lessons from books may be added and firmly fixed in the memory. So there, there is a point where the mind has expanded. And as we just read, there is a point where the mind can be ready and natural to their years. They can start having more academic learning. I want to talk about when academic learning is supposed to come in. How do we know when the mind is ready? Well, the brain develops by forming what's called myelin around a sheath around neurons. And before the brain region is truly ready to do something for that brain region, it's not myelinated yet. And it's virtually useless. It's extremely inefficient. In some cases, doesn't, doesn't work at all. And so without myelin, the neuron is extremely inefficient. But when myelination does take place, when that neuron gets coated with that sheath, then it increases the speed of the signal by 100 times. So now that region region of the brain is ready to do its assigned task. But before myelin comes in, before that brain region is, is myelinated and organized, it's not ready to do that task yet. And so it won't do it. It won't do it well. Now, the various areas of the brain, they're going to develop along certain schedules of development, if you will. And we read in Desire of Ages that the powers of Jesus' own mind and his body developed gradually in keeping with the, what's the next word? Laws. So his mind developed according to the laws of childhood. So there are fixed laws of the development of the child brain. On a schedule, you'll know when things are happening based upon what the research has shown, when the myelination and organization takes place for a brain region. Now, it's not just children that have this. It's also cats. They did a study with kittens. This is fascinating. And they discovered that there is a critical time period for certain skills to be learned. And if they're not learned during that critical time period, they will never be learned. So the study was actually of their visual cortex. They, they, they looked at these visual feature detectors within the cat's uh, visual cortex of their brain. And these usually organize, these do organize according to the laws of kitten mind development. They organize at eight to nine weeks old, okay? So that's where the visual, that's where they learn the ability to see visual lines is eight to nine weeks. That's when those neurons myelinate and get those sheaths for efficient use. What they did, this is a critical period, by the way, because what they did was they took the mice, or the, not the mice, rather, the, the kittens, and they blindfolded them during that period and only during that period. They had a completely normal life before that period, a completely normal life after, but during that period, they were blindfolded, so they were not able to, to learn visual line seeing they took the blindfold off after that week of, of, of time, and the mice, the, sorry, the, the kittens, I'm always talking about mice studies in my seminars, the, the kittens were never able to see visual lines for the rest of their lives because they missed that critical period. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, we read about some ages in Spirit of Prophecy. Listen to these age, age groups that we read about. It says parents should be the only teachers of the children until they have reached the age, age until they've reached eight or ten years of age. 
parents should be the only teachers of children until they have reached 8 or 10 years of age. The only schoolroom for children until 8 or 10 years of age should be in the open air amid the opening flowers and nature's beautiful scenery. So until 8 or 10, we're seeing that parents should have the children in the home, outdoors, what do we make of this? Well, let's go back to science. Let's see, make a little bit more sense of this. Why 8 or 10? There, there are physical laws of the development of the brain, just like a, a, a kitten, right? When does certain areas myelinate and organize? What you see on the screen right now is the right brain. The right hemisphere of the brain is the first to organize and myelinate in childhood. This is where you have very important things such as creativity, faith and belief, spirituality, very important for a Christian, right? And it organizes and myelinates until about age seven or eight in girls and a couple years later in boys. Now, interestingly, when you flip the other side and look at the left hemisphere of the brain and, and the frontal lobe of the brain, these develop later, and they, this is where you have linear patterns, logic, critical thinking, numbers, fine motor skills, inner speech, which is important. These are important for writing, for reading, for foveal focus of the eyes. This is to see two-dimensional objects on a page, obviously important for reading. So basically, academics, in a nutshell, right? When does this area of the brain develop? It begins organizing and myelinating after the right hemisphere. Now, when does the right hemisphere myelinate until? Seven or eight for girls, a little bit later for boys. This left hemisphere, the academic more in the frontal lobe, start to develop and myelinate, start to develop and myelinate at, after, after that period. So eight to ten, how about that? Isn't that amazing from Spirit of Prophecy? Now, we also read from Spirit of Prophecy that during the first six or seven years of a child's life, special attention should be given to its physical training rather than the intellect. So she's saying, don't focus on that kind of thing during the first six or seven years. And then too much importance cannot be placed on the early training of children. The lessons that the child learns during the first seven years of life, so before they're eight or ten, have more to do with the forming of his what? Character than all that he learns in future years. What did we just learn about the right hemisphere? The right hemisphere, creativity, faith, and belief. Can you say character, religion, spirituality, the foundation of their walk with the Lord is happening in those first years? And so we read this counsel that says don't focus on the intellect during those years. Focus on the forming of character. Focus on physical development and the forming of character during those years. Because think about it, for every hour you're focused on academic things at age six, seven, doing these things before the the 8 to 10 period, you're not working on right brain spirituality and, and, and the things of, of character development, uh, faith, belief, these things that we want to lay the foundation of for the rest of their lives. This is why we've had this council that's been often neglected. We've been, well, why 8 to 10? I mean, all, everybody seems to be going earlier and earlier with things, right? And in fact, that, that is what's happening. Earlier reading, earlier academic things are, are, are coming into America. That's not the case in other countries, um, but there's so much more to be said on this, a ton to be said on this. In the classroom of the remnant, you, you compare um, Scandinavia, what's going on there with later reading and education entrance into academic settings and how they have 100% literacy rates. We're in America, abysmal literacy rates in America. But I know that many people, including myself, when I first came across this science, I said, well, wait a minute. If they're learning to read later and going to school later like Spirit of Prophecy recommends, aren't they going to be behind this is the amazing thing. Look at this. They compared age five read starter, starting reading versus age seven starting reading. So here's the age five readers. They're, they're ahead, right? They're ahead at the beginning, obviously. But watch what happens to the age seven readers. Boom. They, they, they leap and they catch up within two years. And then they take the lead. So the later readers actually read better. 
And so, and they catch up quickly. So don't feel it's going to be a disadvantage. It's going to be an advantage to have academic things coming in later and to say we're going to focus on right brain stuff during those first years. Present trends are, of course, going earlier and earlier. For the sake of time, I'm going to skip that. Oh, there's another thing I, I hear is my children will not be socialized properly if they're having a, a home school situation until 8 or 10. They're not going to have proper socialization. This is, the, the, the research shows the opposite, actually. Studies have been done on this. The results seem to show, says Larry Shires, that a child social development depends more on adult contact and less on contact with other children than previously thought. In a study on socialization, researcher Thomas Smedley found that homeschooled children scored in the 84th percentile, while public school children scored in the 27th percentile. And he said this, children are socialized horizontally in school and temporarily into conformity with their immediate peers. As my friend Joshua White says, are we raising our children to be children or are we raising our children to be adults? We want lots of good adult contact that's going to be better for development than lots of children, child contact. How about this one? They were sent to these parents that had success in raising their children spiritually. They didn't keep a ton of responsibility and, and, and lots of tasks, and you're going to be in the sports, and you're going to do this, and, 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 and. In fact, 1992 uh, Value Genesis study linked, a, there was a connection between participation in spectator sports and the propensity to leave the church. So we actually see the more tasks and things and, and, and different extracurricular activities we're doing is burning out children. It's, it, it's stressful to them to have so much on them. You've got to take the AP class and this and this and this. I've been a high school teacher. Those kids are stressed out. They're not sleeping enough. And so dial back. Listen to this one. The more quiet and simple the life of the child, the more free from artificial excitement and the more in harmony with nature, the more favorable it is to physical and mental vigor and spiritual strength. So <sighs> dial back a bit. By the way, there's nothing wrong with an advanced placement class. There's nothing wrong with playing a game with your children. I'm going so fast, I'm sometimes missing some of these, these uh, padding, some of my statements. So please forgive me for the speed of things. But there you have it. We want a more simple and natural life for our children. And this is one of the reasons, by the way, Spirit of Prophecy says... Have a garden, get outdoors, and gardening has been shown to have many, many benefits. Children who garden have greater self-confidence, greater self-worth, have more patience, more perseverance, more scientific knowledge, more test scores in every academic area. And so their higher test scores and average and learning abilities overall were higher. Now, brothers and sisters, we are out of time. But we're not done with the presentation. So if you have, it's 12 o'clock right now. If you have somewhere you need to be, I've got about five minutes of information to go through on maybe six, maybe seven. No more than seven. Hold me to that, okay? <laughs> uh, if, you, if you need to go, I will not be offended. But uh, this is important because children need to live in an atmosphere of discipline and security and rules. And these successful parents, they established and consistently enforced rules. That's, that's how things went in their home, right? And we read in Spirit of Prophecy that true love is not exercised toward children when they are allowed to Indulge passion or when disobedience of your laws is permitted to go unpunished. That's not true love to children. True love is firm. True love is kind, but it's also firm. Every Christian home should have rules, and parents should, in their words and in their deportment toward each other, give to the children a precious living example of what they desire them to be. And then we read, carry out what you say without deviation. The parents were also enforcing it without malice. Not with a rod of iron, Spirit of Prophecy says. Harsh words, sour tempers wound the hearts of children. Those things are hard to heal. Be firm and kind, we read earlier. Regulate your temper. Hold your tongue. And the Lord will need to help you with this, by the way. Do kids sometimes frustrate you? Yeah, I'm with you, right? Walk away. Pray. 
We have a habit every time we're about to discipline our son, we pray first. Because if I'm not uh, with the spirit of God, I, in my flesh, I, I get frustrated. And then I say things in a way that I don't want to say them. And I don't want to make those mistakes. And the Lord, will, the Lord will protect us from that. Both parents are in agreement. You're not dividing and conquering here. If the children see that there's a, devise, a division there, they will then play that against you. Parents are to work together as a unit, we read in Spirit of Prophecy as well. Now, saving the most important factor for last. Good thing you stayed, right? The most important factor of all, what Barna found when he researched and interviewed these parents, the thing they spoke most strongly about in their parenting was that they spent enormous quantities of time in prayer for their children. They were in, on their knees. They were in prayer for their children. And if we're not praying for our children, that's, that's the first thing that needs to come in. I started a habit with my son Levi where every night... And he started asking for this because I did it once. And then he's, he, the next night he asked for it again, asked for it again. Every day he asks for it, every day that I'm home. I go into his room. Uh, you know, his mom always put him to bed when he was a baby, right? Because babies want their mom. And so she would be the one to put him to bed usually. But, uh, you know, I realized, hey, I'm missing an opportunity. You know, he's three now. And I'm missing an opportunity to really connect with my son here at bedtime. And so uh, after she, you know, carries him over and puts him in the bed, I come in and do the back rub talk to him about his day, and then I'm on my knees beside his bed, and he hears me pray for him out loud. That, I believe, is going to be very formative to children. When they hear, you heard Cinda Osterman talk about it, that when, when our daughters would hear my, my husband pray for them, that was very foundational for them, and they would ask, can you pray for me? When the children see that prayer means something to us, not only does it work because it invites the mighty agencies of the Holy Spirit and the angels of God to come into our homes, but also the children are impressed by that, that it is important. We read it as impossible mothers they get this this is awesome it is impossible to estimate the power of a praying mother's influence and you know why it's impossible because we have god then moms right remember this and the moms are tapping into the power of the creator of the universe and so you have the second most influential with the mightiest power in the universe tapping into that it's impossible to estimate that so be on your knees before the lord in prayer I know of nothing that causes me so great sadness as a prayerless home. That's a strong statement, isn't it? I know nothing that causes me so great sadness as a prayerless home. Your compassionate Redeemer is watching you with love and sympathy, ready to hear your prayers and render you the assistance which you need. He knows the burdens of every mother's heart and is her best friend in every emergency. His everlasting arms supports the God-fearing, faithful mother. If you're like me, you felt completely incapable at times of being a parent. You say, I have no idea what I'm doing. I feel like I've messed up so many times. And you start to feel like a failure. And you know what? You're never going to be a successful parent if you feel like a failure. If you feel like God's just like, come on, you messed up again. Again, why don't you do it right? That's not his attitude toward you. His attitude toward you is, I am uplifting, my everlasting arms, God says, are uplifting you in this work. And so it's not in your own strength. You are weak, yes, but in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. Amen? And so do not be discouraged. Always go to the Lord in prayer, and he will give you the strength that you need to do this thing to the best of his ability, which is perfection. Parents, you are working with, are you working, a closing promise, are you working with unflagging energy in behalf of your children? The God of heaven marks your solicitude, your earnest work, your constant watchfulness. He hears your prayers. With patience and tenderness, train your children for the Lord. All heaven is interested in your work. God will unite with you, crowning your efforts with success. 
I want to pray for every family in here, for every child in here with you as we close. And I know your heart is in prayer for your own children, most of all, as, as mine are, is. But let's unite in prayer for all of our children because this, I believe, could very well be the children who go through the last days as children. I want them to be ready. I want them to be in the kingdom and for all of us to be there. So let's bring that before the Lord and then we'll just have a, a brief uh, debriefing after, after we close in prayer. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the privilege of discipling and raising and educating your children. They are younger members of your family. Please help us to treat them with the respect and the honor that is due to them as image bearers of you. Please help us, Father, to not use harsh words, to have an atmosphere of joy and happiness and love in our homes. Please help us to have firmness and kindness blended. Please help us to apply all of these things. Lord, we've gone so fast through it, but we know that you can hide these principles in our hearts and bring them out just at the right time. I pray that the members of this community, that we would commit ourselves to deeper study of this issue of how to parent our children. This 75 minutes certainly has not been sufficient for you have volumes of inspired testimony for us to glean from. And we just thank you for that. I thank you so much for the privilege of of being one of your children. Thank you for parenting us so well, so perfectly so that we can have a model that we can parent like you. And we need your everlasting arms, Lord. I pray for every mother, for every father, for every child represented in this room that we would all come to know you in a deeper, more intimate way, that the children would see our living faith, that we love your word, and that we are serving you together as a family, and that we can walk into heaven as Enoch did, translated and made perfect in your your image. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.